0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lisa Burke Show, where I have a guest joining us from California. It's uh, about 1. 15 in the morning over there. I'm delighted to have Dr. Bella de Paolo joining us from California. Now, here in the studio, I have, let me try this in the Spanish way, It's César González Fernández. Right. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you, César. <laughs> and my colleague, as always, Sasha Kyo. It's a delight to have you all here with me. Me in the studio, joining us from RTL in Kirchberg, Luxembourg, and also joining us online from California. Now, because of the timing for Dear Bella, I'm going to start with you and uh, my guests in the studio uh, don't know uh, what this is going to be about, but let me give a little introduction to our listeners and and my colleague and, and guest in the studio to Dr. Bella DiPaolo, a social scientist, a leading expert on the single life. Her TED Talk has had more than 1.7 million views. One of those <laughs> is me. Um, latest book is Single at Heart and that has drawn a lot of media coverage as people feel more able to talk about living a single life happily. Other books include Singled Out, How We Live Now and Dr DePaolo has written the Living Single blog for Psychology Today since 2008. She's been published by august names such as the New York Times, the Washington Post, Time Magazine, The Atlantic and much more. She completed her BA from Vassar College, her PhD from Harvard and has lectured all over. She was a professor of psychology at the University of Virginia for two decades and is currently an academic affiliate in the Department of Psychological and Brain Sciences at the University of California, Santa Barbara. It's such a joy to have you joining us, Bella.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me. I love talking about this.
0: Well, I love the joy that you share when you talk about this. So we have to start then. What is the definition of being single at heart?
1: People who are single at heart love being single and they want to stay single. And I'm one of them. And so for us, single life is our best life, our most meaningful, fulfilling, authentic, and psychologically rich life. We are happy and flourishing because we're single, not in spite of it.
0: And do you know, uh, your energy is just so abundant. (laughs) And I still can't believe I mean I know your age because you're very open about your age you have so much energy and it's (laughs) a quarter past one in the morning over there in California all of this when I was researching you and I have to confess to our viewers and our listeners that I first came across you on Goop of all things that's where I found out about your book it was wonderful so you know that the Gwyneth fan club have you on there as something to be spoken about. This all started many, many decades for you. And there was a certain line from an agony aunt, actually. I think a lady had lost her husband and she was worried about uh, vacations and the Christmas period. Um, And the agony aunt had written this line, which you underlined and kept. One is a whole number. And this started a whole succession of you beginning to collect information about living as one, as a whole number. So talk to me about the origins of this for you. Right. So
1: what was interesting about that is the idea that single people would need to be reassured that they're a whole person. And that was the first thing I put in my folder that started off my whole decades of of studying single people and talking to them and and writing about them. And so I started to keep track of the ways in which I was treated differently because I was single. So for example, at my previous university, the person who put together the class schedule asked me to teach at night because she said it would be harder for my married colleagues to come in at night and they didn't even have kids yet. And, you know, I would notice that my coupled colleagues would socialize with couples on the weekends and maybe I'd get invited to lunch during the week. So there are just all these ways that I felt like, is this happening because I'm single or is it happening? Just is it just something about me? So I approached someone at a social event. I knew she was single And I asked her if she ever experienced anything like this, and she had so many stories. Then someone else joined us, then someone else joined us. By the end of the night, we had a whole circle of people talking the whole night. And when I got up the next morning, turned on my email, I had more stories from them. They said, oh, and another thing I forgot to mention. So I found out right away that this was something that resonated. It
0: absolutely resonated. I mean, I'm just, I was smiling when you said you were asked to teach uh, at university in the evenings. It obviously sets you up very well for doing interviews at 1am in the morning. (laughs) But (laughs) aside aside from that, you have a point, of course, and it's one that I think um, anybody living a a single life would recognise. Two
1: things on that. Do you think it has changed? Um, It is changing some, in part because Almost all around the world, the number of single people is growing. And when there are more of us, it gets harder to try to keep us in our place because we'll support each other and and um, share ideas about what's happening and what we should do about it. So I think it has gotten better. I have to tell you a little
0: anecdote. I was telling a colleague in the office just now who I was interviewing, and she told me about her weekend away before I mentioned you, she told me about her weekend away in Amsterdam with friends. It was a wonderful mm-hmm. weekend, but she said the highlight of her weekend was having lunch alone
1: in an art gallery. That was the highlight of Isn't her that weekend. Great? Yeah. Yes. And you know one of the key characteristics of people who are single at heart, and I didn't realize this before I started until I did all the research, is that they love their time alone. And if you are comfortable with yourself, that is such a wonderful thing. I mean, I think of it like a superpower. If you like your time alone, you're very unlikely to be lonely. You're very unlikely to become, as you age, the caricature of the isolated and sad older single person. And also this strength of, being comfortable by ourselves got us through the pandemic. I mean, it's not that we had no challenges at all, but we were already used to being on our own and yet staying in touch with people And sometimes remotely, you know, online instead of in person. So in many ways, The Single at Heart did great. Yes. And you started writing your book
0: actually through the pandemic. But before that, you did this TED Talk and it clearly resonated. I mean, after that TED Talk,
1: what happened? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I got so many invitations to write things and um, blog about things. And um, and so, and just people writing to me out of the blue, which I totally welcome. So it, it was, and it's continued till now. Um, one thing I wrote the day before my book came out in on December 5th and December 4th in a publication called the Huff Post, used to be the Huffington Post I wrote this article with the title it was something like I'm 70 and I have lived alone my whole life here's what people get wrong about us and I talked about how much I loved my single life that how I liked my solitude how I liked being able to connect with my friends and do as be with them as much as I want without anyone else thinking that time belonged to them, how I liked my independence and my freedom. And and well, after that was published, I got about a hundred personal emails from people saying that they had never felt so validated before. And I just think that's so important. It's like you know societies have been missing out on this group of people who love their single life and it's such a challenge and it, it so shatters all the stereotypes of how single people are believed to feel, that they feel sorry for themselves, that they're lonely and they're sad and they wish they were coupled. Um, you know, and some single people do, but a lot of us don't and we want to be recognized and validated.
0: Well, there was a Times article about that recently as well. I think perhaps this um, idea of coupledom, etc., comes from the known fact that our social connections also contribute to our level of happiness. But that's not Mm -hmm. to say that a single person doesn't have very strong bonds and very strong networks of social connections. And indeed, you write about the fact that sometimes they can foster an even greater and stronger network of social connections because they have time outside what can become an insular coupledom
1: to form those
0: habits with other
1: people yes in fact there are studies that follow people for years over the course of their adult lives and ask them every year how things are going and what they find is when couples move in together or when they get married, they become more insular. They mostly pay attention to each other. They don't talk to their friends as much. They don't call their parents as much. And meanwhile, the people who are staying single are remaining devoted to their friends and the people that they care about. They're not demoting them from dinner to lunch or, you know, from weekends to weekdays like couples sometimes do to their single friends. And, so, and other studies show that single people are actually more connected to more different people
0: than married people are. And while we're on the topic of studies, you do also have in your TED Talk this lovely graph. (laughs) Um, I think it's the only graph in your TED Talk, and it's really about the levels of, of happiness comparing single people to married people. Would you like to talk us through that graph?
1: Oh, sure. So first of all, my colleague Wendy Morris and I asked hundreds of undergraduates how happy they thought they would be if they got married. And they chose, like, the happiness level, about as happy as they could possibly be. And then we asked them, how long, how happy do you think you would be if you stayed single? And they chose, like, really low levels of happiness. Well, there are now more than 18 studies that follow people over the course of their lives. And what they find is that people who get married get a little bit happier when they first get married. And then they go back to being as happy or as unhappy as they were when they were single. And the only people who do get a little bit happier when they first get married are the people who stay married. The ones who are already headed, the ones that are headed for divorce and the researchers know who's headed for divorce because they study these people for decades. So they look back and say, ah, that one was going to get divorced. And they find that on average, they are already getting a little less happy as the day of their wedding approaches. Mm. Oh, my goodness.
0: Well, I think we should all be doing this before we spend the money on marriage. <laughs> That's a fascinating study. Um Of course, a part of your book, Uh, well, let's go back, you mentioned COVID, in fact, let's go back to the writing of this particular book, the latest book, uh, Single at Heart, Um, because one of your concerns was that you were hitting it just as COVID approached and you thought, oh, will this change things?
1: But in fact, it didn't. So talk us through that, that, that experience. Yes, That was my one and only crisis of confidence about my work on the single at heart. So I had been for years saying, here are these people, myself included, who love being single. It's our best life. We don't want to unsingle ourselves. And then the pandemic started. And I thought to myself... What if we're stuck like this for weeks and a little did I know it would go on for months and even longer. And so I was worried that being in lockdown, maybe some of us who are single at heart would leap into the arms of another person just to be out of isolation. And it took me a long time till I got the nerve to start asking people how they were doing. Because I had all these people who had already shared their life stories with me. And some of them were having challenges, you know, often financial ones. But no one wanted to set aside their single lives and become coupled and in fact many were even more secure about being single during the pandemic than than they even had been before well, and in contrast
0: no I was just going to people, say yeah that I, 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 we've definitely heard some stories of divorce because of covid unfortunately yeah. Yeah, that's what I was going to next. Yeah, so it's a very sad situation, but, you know, a little bit of freedom gives everybody a, 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 fresh yeah. bre- a breath of fresh air, rather. Um, another topic that you bring up um, through your writing, through your talks as well, mm-hmm. is the discrimination. Um, of course, we have taxes uh, in different countries. Yeah. I know you're in America. It's the same here in Europe. Mm-hmm. But now that you are really the leading advocate for this... Part of society, large part of society that doesn't have a voice, really hasn't yet had a voice, and you seem to be the spokesperson for it. What needs to change? Because there is discrimination, as with other groups of society, we face those and we think, oh gosh, it's ridiculous. But why is it still
1: (laughs) not fair? Why is it still not fair? Oh, it really isn't. In the United States, there are hundreds of laws that benefit and protect only people who are legally married. In fact, that was one of the real strong motivations of the people who fought so hard to get same-sex marriage legalized. They wanted access to all those benefits and protections. Um, There's also discrimination in the workplace. For example, um, single men are paid less than married men, even when they are Equal in their experience and in their um, accomplishments. Why is that? In the work. Oh, you know, I think it's this bias in favor of married men, and I think um, bosses sometimes think, "Oh, they have a family to support." But you know, the workplace should be about about work. You shouldn't get extra pay. Depending on how many people are in your family, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, yeah, right. So, so, the, and sometimes single people are asked to st- stay later or work late at night, as I show you with my opening example of teaching at night, and um, and also there. There is what I call singleism, stereotyping, stigmatizing, discrimination against single people in popular culture. I mean, think about movies, TV shows, song lyrics. When do you ever see single people celebrated? Single people who love being single and want to stay single. You know, you might get someone who's happily single for a while, but not people who love being single. It's like, so many plots and narratives turn on the romantic um, narrative of, oh, they're going to meet cute and stay and meet some obstacles, but eventually overcome them and be together. And, oh, my gosh, I'm so bored.
0: Well, I think, given that um, you have featured on Goop and they have links to producers... I think your next yeah. uh, feat should be a script, a TV script, perhaps a film script. And then oh, you I should guess. you should change your tack and, and put that out there because it, it really is a voice that we're not hearing. Um, so then for those who are frightened of facing a future, even though they like their own company, etc., In order to give them confidence to continue living that path of singledom, how can they psychologically flourish, given that is also your field of expertise? Oh, sure.
1: Well, one thing is to take advantage of the freedom and opportunities you have in your life. So whatever it is that you like to do, um, do it, and if you're a single person who's not sure you want to stay stay single, then make the most of your single years. Do the things you might not get to do if you become coupled and become um, in tune with yourself and who you really are.
2: How and do you know?
0: Take, how do you know whether <laughs> you should stay single or not? If
1: that's not a silly question, huh. um, no, it's not silly at all, and in fact. It's really hard for some people to understand whether they really like being single or not because they are made to doubt themselves. You know, when people who are single at heart say, you know, I love being single, I want to stay single, other people will say, oh, you're just fooling yourself, you haven't met the right person, you'll get over it, (laughs) you know, and, uh, you know, and that's very condescending and dismissive. I mean, imagine if a married person said, oh, I'm so happily married, I hope I stay married forever, and the other person said, oh, you're just fooling yourself, you'll want a divorce soon, you'll get over it. (laughs) And in fact, that's something I do in my single at heart book. I do what I call flipping the script, which is take something that people say to single people and imagine if they said it to married people. And uh, sometimes that is revelatory. You can see how inappropriate it is. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think single people who want to embrace their single lives, um, of course, I would say read my single and hard book. Of course, um, absolutely, um, I agree. Thank you. And there are podcasts and um, writings that are uh, available to single. And my um, community of single people, which is online at Facebook, um, and we talk about every aspect of single life except what people expect single people to obsess about. No talk about dating, no talk about escaping single life. If you try to do that, you're out of the group. <laughs> so it's this wonderful place for single people who like being single. And so we have this wonderful oasis where we don't get inundated by um negative narratives and stereotypes and so forth.
0: Mm -hmm. And I just want to add in the equation of children. We now Mm -hmm. live in um, an age medically where it's possible to have children on your own, of course, and it's accepted by society. Mm -hmm. But how do you fulfill that want to have a a mentally single life and raise children at the same time? Yeah, you know,
1: I I interviewed people who are single at heart and have kids for my single at heart book. And I found that they felt very positively about it. They often say that they feel like they have a special bond with their children and that their children are protected from the kinds of toxic dynamics that go on in some married households, obviously not all of them, but their their kids aren't going to be put at risk for divorce or for conflict or for, you know, chilly relationships between the parents or what spills over to the kids. Um, but mostly they talk about the positives, how um, they have this special relationship with their child. Now, of course, it is difficult, especially when they're when they're um, babies and and it's hard for the parents, a single parent to get time for themselves. But they know Um, that's a phase and that will pass. Right, Mm -hmm. right. And sometimes you're very good at uh, making friends with other people who will be there for them and their kids. So the network grows.
0: One thing that I found very poignant was uh, the relationship you you had with your mother and the travel you had with her. But her
1: final line to you. That. Right. So um, I was close to her, and especially after my father died, we had seven years together before she died where we traveled together and talked and we talked about lots of things. But she never brought up my single status, she didn't even hint. That she wished I would get married. And that was so reassuring to me. I thought it meant that she understood that single life was my best life. Until the last conversation I had alone with her as she lay dying. And that's when she brought up my single life for the first time and said, I worry about you. Hmm. And I don't remember what I said, but I was so sad and so stunned. And I wish I knew then what I know now. I wish I had I could have reassured her that this was my best life. I was happy like this. I wish I had already written my single at heart book. But it's done now for everybody else.
0: But it it was so poignant. I think it's always a mother's worry. They always, till their dying breath, worry about their children, even if their children are completely fine and, you know, know, Harvard PhDs and all the rest of it. But she, I, I think the worry is that she just wanted to know you had a network of help if you ever needed to call somebody.
1: Probably, yes. And I think what she didn't realize, and most people don't, is that if you've been single for a long time, especially if you're single at heart, but not necessarily, you probably do have that network because you didn't do that insular thing of focusing everything on your one person, the one. Mm-hmm. Not that every couple does that, but they are certainly more likely to do it. Than people
0: who are single. Well, in our final few minutes before I allow you to go and have some sleep, if you ever sleep, I don't know how you managed to pump out the amount of work you do. Well, I, I, I think one reason you pump out so much work is because you were single. <laughs> but um, I, Maybe. it might be. But um, I love the fact that one of your expertise areas academically is the psychology of lying and detecting lies. I mean, apart from all of your work in singledom, this is fascinating.
1: So give us a rundown of what this means. Oh, right. So I used to study the psychology of lying and detecting lies, you know, and about cues to deception and how accurate people are detecting deception. And it was interesting. I mean, you know, Studying lying is always going to be interesting, and you're always going to have new examples. But it was nothing like, for me, studying singlehood, which is such a passion. And I also have found... That my work on single people touches other people in a way that my deception work never did. So, for example, at academic conferences, when I talked about my single work, afterwards people would come up and say, oh, nice talk. I enjoyed that. But after I would talk about my single work, they would come up to me, grab my hand and say, thank you. I I think you meant when you talked about the the lying detection work,
0: first of all there, that they they, they said nice talk. But then when you talked about your single work, they came to you.
1: Yes, exactly. Did I say something wrong?
0: Well, you said single twice, so it's obviously in your mind. Oh, okay, yeah. you you clearly resonate with so many people and that's why your books are such a success and that you've really created a wave and a movement here. And again, what struck me was the fact that we have so many conscious decisions being made at work to help minority groups, if we want to use that phrase, but single groups have never been thrown into that pool and you are yes. right, uh, they are asked to do the Christmas Day shifts, the New Year's Day shifts, etc. Yes. Um, that has happened and that does happen and, and families have always been given that uh, elite status in society. Is it the same in every
1: society? Um, I don't know about the workplace specifically, uh, but my sense is that the Scandinavian societies, and you would know this better than me, seem much more um, friendly to single people, and especially people who live alone. Um, of course, they have a better social safety net than we do in the United States. And I think they're more attuned to this. So, for example, in the year 2013, Finland had a day-long um, conference on people who live alone. Alone. In fact, they invited me to come and speak to it. So they were already taking very seriously um, this this substantial group of people who live alone, and they brought in academics and policymakers and policy implementers, and I just thought it was wonderful. Well, next time you're going to Finland or another kind
0: of Scandinavian <laughs> country esque, yes. I know Finland's not quite in Scandinavia, but very close. Um, it's uh, you must hop across via Luxembourg. We would love to have you here. Hi. You'll have to talk oh, to wonderful. us all. You're always welcome um, uh, in real life you. I'll in take the studio, you up on that. Bella. You are very welcome to stay for the rest of the show. You're very welcome to turn off the camera and uh, get some Z's in, um, but continue to <laughs> okay. pump out the great okay, work. I think
1: I will sleep i think i will leave but thank you so much for inviting me it was wonderful to talk to you
0: thank you bella thank you take care and we'll be back just after this short break Now, my next guest is César González Fernández. I've said it now in the English way. Sorry about this. Um, he's a purpose-driven entrepreneur with the goal of creating a litter-free world in a conscious and collaborative society. Originally from Lyon, a small city in the northwest of Spain, you've lived in the UK, France, Germany, and now Luxembourg. And you have created with your partner Lester. Clean Something for Nothing, CSFN, a mobile app that connects people to clean the world one bag of trash at a time. So, César, it's wonderful to have you with us here in real life. Uh, what did you think about the single life?
2: Um, it was super interesting, by the way. And I believe I was single at heart back in the day because I was always feeling super happy being single until I met my, my wife. <laughs> <laughs> but I reckon that I never looked for fulfilling this gap. I always was super happy and I have great memories in my single life.
0: Well, as she was talking and, and I knew we were moving on to you, I thought... You can definitely have single people and married people for this because um, you're also the EU Climate Pact ambassador. You're the country leader in Luxembourg for the World Clean-Up Day organization, which is something that I didn't even know about before I met you. I mean, occasionally I see people cleaning up various parts of the commune. I feel guilty that I'm not joining them, but you're here to encourage us to join. So let's talk first about the app that you've created, Clean Something for Nothing.
2: Sure. So first, thank you for having me. Um, so I tell you the story briefly. We started in two thousand eighteen picking up rubbish litter, and we were posting our cleanups in um, Instagram um, page. By the time the hashtag under "Clean something for nothing" got uh, viral, and now we have like over fourteen thousand posts across the globe, and we were okay. There are many people out there doing cleanups everywhere because litter is everywhere, sadly. So we said, okay, we need an app to grab all these efforts and put them together and see how much we are cleaning and how many of us are there. So we checked all the apps in the market. We saw that the apps existing there were very data-oriented, so very good for the data. But for for you as a user, you had to categorize the litter to the extreme that you had to specify what kind of plastic it was, what kind of... So we said, let's do the other way around. Let's create a mobile app which is oriented to the user and is still good enough for the data. So what we do is we count bags and everybody can count how many bags they picked up. And that's it, with the bags we have the volume and we also estimate the kilos of trash.
0: And why do you do this? What made you begin yeah, cleaning up litter? Question. Not mo- Most people do not go around, I mean, I, I, I don't put litter on the ground, I hope, I don't ever do that. But But most people don't go around picking up other people's
2: litter. <laughs> Not yet.
0: <laughs> Not yet. Sorry, I should have added no, I, that. Yeah. Not yet. You yeah, will change yeah, that.
2: Absolutely right. Um, so it was. I was uh, in my hometown, and suddenly the trash that was out there was bothering me. So I decided to grab a bag and pick it up. In five ten minutes, I managed to clean it up, and then I realized that within a few time, I created value. So I said, "Wow, this this is good for me, but also for my parents who live here and all the neighbors." animals dogs that come by so I said okay it created value in such a short time and I also got aware about uh, all the littering that is there because you think when you when you pick up litter you wonder you automatically reflect on what's going on so I started to promote this and then I saw many people out there was doing that as well and I've talked to many litter pickers across the globe and it's really amazing to see how some people stop looking at the chrono when they were running and they start looking at the bags they were picking up. And in a way, it's a, it's a fun activity if you look it in a correct uh, way. Because if you have a wrong mindset, you will never go pick up Lita.
0: And then I would like you to tell us about uh, a few of the um, exciting uh, things that are happening in Luxembourg. We have Let's Clean Your Commune and we have Luxembourg Spring Cleanup, which I again didn't know about until mm-hmm. you wrote to me, I confess, but now I know.
2: Good. <laughs> so actually the, the Luxembourg Spring Cleanup is more famous known as the Grosputz. Yeah. here in Luxembourg or the Naturgboots. And it's taking place on the 23rd of March. Um, if you want to know more info, we have created a page on our website. If you type in Google uh, Grossboots 2024, you might find all the info. Probably your commune is going to organize uh, a, cre- a cleanup, so you can also check there. And we are onboarding communes to, to promote anti-litter campaigns among citizens. We are already with uh, Merch, and basically we promote uh, cleanups and also spotting litter uh, all of that, you can do that with our app. I want to mention that uh, today in the app, we have over 3,700 cleanups in 64 countries. And to give you a number, this is 780,000 kilos. And we expect to reach 1 billion kilo by the end of this year.
0: Congratulations. This is really wonderful. You. Do you, Given that we've just had 30 minutes of a psychology conversation, why do people drop litter?
2: I believe... This is because they are not aware. They don't, they don't see what this action is uh, meaning for, for our environment. I've been a smoker. I've flipped cigarettes on the street. And whenever I did it, um, I never thought about the impact of flipping a cigarette. But this is something that we need to stop doing. Um, it's been normalized in many movies, in many occasions, but we need to know that cigarette butts are not cotton, it's plastic. It takes uh, more than 100 years to degrade, to biodegrade. And one single cigarette butt can pollute 500 litres of water. So when you throw that on the uh, this uh, on the side of the, of the street and goes down to the piping, this ends up probably in the ocean or in the river and then in the ocean and it's polluting the water. So it's basically awareness. We believe we need to be aware and stop littering and be more conscious about our single use purchases. Um,
0: what is the greatest type of litter that you find? Oh. I know that might vary country to country, but here in Luxembourg, for yeah. example.
2: So, I also run cleanups here in Luxembourg uh, every two weeks with Sir the City. And we found various <laughs> objects weird. Um, so, one of them was a writing machine, a very old writing machine. Another one was um, a very old tobacco dispenser, a big, big machine. We had to grab four, four of us. We have to...
0: Just thrown on the side of the road. Just,
2: just thrown in... It was really behind the Hollerich Church. So really in Luxembourg City. There are some, some hidden areas where um, no, nobody mostly look, but if you look, you'll be surprised.
0: Well, I would love to add to this one of my bugbears, which is chewing gum. Oh. Because that's very difficult to pick up. You can't really with your hand. (laughs) But that destroys. I remember walking through a lovely patch of London that had just been repaved with the beautiful stone they use in, in the pavements of London. And Within a few days, it had been pockmarked with chewing gum. And I just, it, it breaks my heart because this beautiful stone has just been given chicken pox with, uh, with chewing gum. It's, it's, it's horrible. And I think it's really selfish that people just throw their gum on the streets like this. So if you could add something to stop people throwing chewing gum, I would be very appreciative.
2: <laughs> I mean, yes, we, we, we encourage everyone to stop doing that as well.
0: Have you any questions, Sasha?
3: Well, I, I, I love the uh, the Gossias books because in our commune, we've done it for years and um, even the children love it because of course the main thing the attraction for children is you get a little litter picker oh and, uh, the so you can p- yes the little claw <laughs> and you can pick up r- where i live um a lot of uh, mainly sort of drinks cans and mm-hmm. bottles and things like that so oh, that's um, quite fun it's quite it's quite a fun uh, event and then you know yeah. quite often the community put on some lunch afterwards it's very cheery it's not a depressing no thing at all of, oh you really need to pick up your litter it's the opposite very,
2: yeah as you say positive. you you you, you I, I can tell you've done it before because it's actually a fun activity when you do it in group especially especially and we also do that uh, with uh, schools and companies it's a nice time to spend a a team-building activity together and as you said the litter picker is very you must be concentrated you don't think about anything else when you're litter picking it's like uh, some people say it's like a meditation for them so
0: you're in the flow state as we say
2: yeah Clean something for nothing, as anybody is watching. Like,
0: well, know, congratulations, <laughs> Thésar, because what you're doing for the world is is really a good thing. And I know it's very important for you also to have that impact involved in your work. Um, tell us a little bit about your role with the EU then, also.
2: Yeah, so recently I was, uh, along with other uh, 13, I believe, or 15 um, fellow PACT ambassadors in Luxembourg. So we, we are a group of people who in different ways, promote uh, things related to the EU Climate Pact Agenda and the Green Deal. Um, concretely, next Tuesday, uh, we are going to have a roundtable in Brussels and we are going to talk about the power of community. And I will be talking there as well to in, in one of the verticals, which is uh, sustainable walks. Um, so, yes, we are people who have different backgrounds, but all oriented to make the world a better place in a way, either with uh, um, circular economy, energy efficiency, um, stop waste, uh, food waste, you know, different aspects.
0: Congratulations. It's really great work. And just finally, I want to shine a light on the fact that you'll no doubt be back to talk about World Cleanup Day, which happens later in the year.
2: Amazing. Yes, this is the D-Day So (laughs) So we'll (laughs)
0: start by getting our little claws out from the commune to help the commune clean up. Let's clean the commune. And then the Luxembourg Spring Cleanup happening on the 23rd of March. And then World Cleanup Day is the 20th of September. Yes. So you'll be back then. And meanwhile, everybody will download your app and we'll link to your app and everything else. Any final thoughts for the listeners?
2: Um, I just encourage you to, to try it once. Go out there pick up some litter and at least those pieces that you will pick won't be there anymore and you will do something nice for your environment and your neighbourhood.
0: I just want to, to add uh, my thought on this. Um, I think the worst litter I ever saw actually was when I went to Africa um, and what was sad about it was that on the sides of the street, there was huge amounts of plastic and and glass bottles as well. And of course, in Luxembourg, we have the luxury of having all sorts of recycling bins close at hand. And we have um, it's ingrained in us from from school days to recycle things. It's 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 really heavy here. It's not the same in other countries or continents. And so, um, you're right that people don't always know what to do. But you also have to have put in place. The ways in which this material can be collected, can be disposed of Absolutely. correctly, you need the chain Absolutely. in place. And and we have that here. Yes. So we are lucky. So um, no litter on the streets. And if it is, go and clean it up. Also, I do think that people who do forest walks, I, I'm one of those... We're quite good at picking up litter. Do you well, find this? I think this if session? you're
3: if you're a dog walker, yes. and I'm out every day, so yes. I think you really notice it, and it really winds you up. So it's very easy to just pick something up as you go along because you've got those poo bags. Anyway. Exactly. <laughs> so
0: I, I'm similar. I pick up, and I, yeah, I think I, I've noticed a lot of other people as well. When you're out in nature, we don't like the nature being uh, contaminated with other things. So we, we tend to be yeah, hopefully quite good at that.
2: And lastly, um, we are working with a tree planting partner, um, reforesting land. So that we, uh, if you pick up litter using the app, per x, we need to figure out how many, x number of kilos, you will be planting one tree. Oh. So that will, this will encourage more people to. To do these actions,
0: you are such a good person. My goodness, you're <laughs> just glowing with goodness, Cesar. I I don't know where this came from, but your 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 parents must be very proud of your work. <laughs> well, congratulations, and we're all joining forces to to collect the litter of Luxembourg and beyond. Of course, you said sixty three countries,
2: sixty four, yeah,
0: sixty four countries. Sorry. So, congratulations. Do stay with us for this uh, little news roundup uh, coming up next with Sasha,
1: the Lisa Burke Show.
0: So, Sasha, we're doing things in reverse today because Bella
3: was on uh, Californian Time. Yes, and so I thought I, I would like to start in reverse a little bit because um, one of the news stories that's kind of linked to César's work is um, that the Luxembourg is trying to reintroduce salmon into into our river. Yes. And, um, and I thought this was really interesting because not for a moment did I think that uh, salmon did come up Luxembourg's rivers to breed, but apparently they did back in the day. Mm. Um, and so they... It's quite a big project because, they, first of all, obviously the Moselle and the Rhine is is dammed, so the salmon can't actually swim Jump upstream. <laughs> so, like in Scotland, they need to make salmon ladders so they can start swimming upstream. And also, of course, the quality of the water um, it has to be really good. So uh, they have to really, really improve the water system for the salmon to start returning to breed. Because apparently they did. I think that is such a good story
0: and I read that story as well and um, also recently I was um, reading some things and watching some videos, I can't watch them for very long, about farmed salmon and it's really quite grim actually. Because yes. salmon is one of, I think it might be the most eaten fish in the world. Absolutely, um, and um, it's, it's not very nice if you start watching the videos of where where it comes from. So to have lovely fresh salmon, wild salmon coming back up the Moselle and the Rhine, that would be wouldn't fabulous. that be amazing? It really would. Well, I, I, over to you. I mean, I've I've read <laughs> the news agenda that you've compiled for this week and. Um, it's hard to know where to
3: turn. It is it is a bit hard. I mean, we could also, uh, again, link to Bella's story. It's not really. It's a, it's a bit of a tenuous link. But I didn't know about this hugely growing trend, which is romanticcy. And I was oh, thinking yeah. of all the disappointed women, maybe, um, <laughs> who have turned to fiction and um, millions and millions of them no longer reading romance novels, but romanticcy, which is a kind of Fix in between fantasy and romance, um, and it really entertained me because it's a, a genre I have completely missed. I didn't. Have you know. ever read one? No, but I'm not great on science fiction. I, I like a bit
0: of reality. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea of uh, fantasy romance stories, dragon riders, fairies, fallen angels—all of this—they are the
3: protagonists of these stories. Well, these—I mean, I suppose they've been making huge hit TV series, haven't they? Yeah, they, they and, have. Um, but I haven't watched those. I, uh, I'm I'm okay. a real life kind of You're person. A real life yeah. person. So you wouldn't fall in love with an elf or want to read a romance between a no, I don't know, a centaur and <laughs> Not me. No, but clearly a lot of other people <laughs> do. Lot of women do. I mean this uh writer Sarah Mars, her Court of Thorns and Roses have sold millions and millions of copies. And and I did read it, You know, is it a sign of the times that it, you know, we we all want escape. Um but that women in particular are looking for escape and a new kind of romance. A new and kind it's a, of man. It, that it's a kind of... <laughs> or or kind other of, thing that in, isn't. In exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Something that isn't. So it really, really made me laugh because obviously this is a, a genre that I haven't come across. I'm going to have to order a book and see if it's fun. I mean, of course, what I did know about, which is
0: part of the story as well, is um, how influential book talk
3: is. That's the other
0: thing. I did yes, know that. Course.
3: Yeah. Yes. This is huge. Uh, the, the the book version of TikTok is and very I knew influential. Isn't this it? a
0: couple of years ago because um, when I went to London with my younger daughter who oh, is on TikTok quite a lot. Um, but one of the great things was we went into a, a bookstore there and she said, "Oh yeah, this is on TikTok and this And, this. and the bookshop itself, I won't name it, but it's a very well known one in London. Um, on the end of its aisle, it had. Books of TikTok, you know, uh, and it had the top ten that was being shown on TikTok. Well, so if it gets
3: people reading, of course. That and was if it great. gets the young reading, that's that's yeah. wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, rather than watching TikToks then uh, yeah, yeah, no, actually that, reading real books. And, and you know, this romanticism is gone viral on the Washington Post and the week yeah. and, and, and and I loved your piece from Caitlin Moran as well Well, she always she's a columnist in the Times who just I just love because she really really makes me laugh and often on very serious subjects is also always spot on and she just wrote that she really wished she had done it because she's been <laughs> talking about you know uh fancying Mr. Tumnus in uh, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe for years and uh, yeah she was just personally gutted and, and very entertained. She's it's always entertaining. Yeah, where would you like to go next? Well, um, I suppose I mean, there really they're, we could go backwards. This, this week has been, you know, the the, the news uh, as ever has been quite heavy, and it started on Monday. Well, no, the news didn't start on Monday, but I started working on Monday to find um, that there had there was a UK Ukraine conference of EU leaders in Paris. Um, you know, the usual, we need to raise money and we need to, you know, show European unity against Russian aggression. But the really interesting thing is that the press conference in the evening, President Macron said that you could not rule out using Western troops in Ukraine. And um, he said this, you know, he, he said nothing's off the table. And within hours, EU leaders american leaders people were just really distancing themselves from this comment and um, including our, our prime minister here in luxembourg Luc frieden who said there was no chance that uh, any luxembourgish troops would end up in the ukraine and um, and then of course we had uh president russian president putin doing his state of the union address and of course you know he he picked on this particular comment and and retorted that uh, you know we still have nuclear weapons. So it seems to have ramped up the language again. And I think European leaders are kind of wanting to support Ukraine financially with ammunition. As you know, the Czech president is in Ukraine mm. uh, today. Mm. Uh, so, sorry, not in, in, Ukraine, Luxembourg. in Luxembourg today <laughs> yeah. uh, and yesterday, and will be holding a news conference later on, at which is expected that they will announce with Luxembourg that they're buying jointly buying ammunition for the Ukrainian army. So Mm. uh, it was a bit rash, I think, maybe of President Macron to say something like that. Maybe it was unguarded, or maybe he deliberately is kind of just rolling it, you know, putting the idea out there. It's caused quite a lot of tension with Germany as well, who are very much on a different page on this
0: Mm. issue. Well, Drawing a line there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm not... Yeah, I don't think Macron's a kind of an unguarded kind of guy. No, exactly. Anyway, let's let's move to Gaza.
3: Well, Gaza, I mean it's yes, in the news a, again this morning of course it is in it's the news again been, this morning after this dreadful massacre yesterday uh, where over 100 people were killed and over 700 people were injured while queuing for food aid in mm-hmm. Gaza City and they they it it appears that they were shot at by um, the Israeli army um, you know, again, there are two accounts. Obviously, the health ministry in Gaza is run by Hamas. Uh, the Israeli information ministry says that most of the people died during an actual sort of stampede and yeah. crush after. But the fact is, it was absolutely horrendous. And and also the fact is that, that famine is a real thing in Gaza now. Uh, not just in little pockets, you know, children are dying of hunger and the death toll is just indescribable i mean we've now reached uh, a level where everyone seems to accept it's over 30,000 people that have died most of whom are women and children so it's it's yeah uh, uh, indescribable We're, everyone's still hoping for a ceasefire biden uh, president biden had said he saw that the a realistic possibility of a ceasefire after the weekend so by monday but i think With this latest development, Mm. the hopes are very, very low.
0: I just want to highlight the interview, not because I did it, but the the beautiful souls that are Bassam and Rami, who came here in Luxembourg a week ago and gave their side Israeli and Palestinian and how they work together. And I just wish people like that could lead the lead that region yes. because then
3: That's we would have really. peace but um well I, I would hope we could have peace but it's on, gonna... a, on another sort of slight uh, sort of offshoot from that is that uh, 50 journalists mm. um mainly british journalists have written this open letter demanding to be let in because of course one thing you mustn't or people mustn't forget is that all the news we're getting out of gaza is from people living there. Um, So, you know, incredibly brave, but there are no Western journalists in Gaza. Mm. So, I mean, there have been the odd uh, journalists who've gone in with the IDF, the Israeli Defence Force, but otherwise it is local people. So people like Alex Crawford that you know from Sky News or Jeremy Bowen from the BBC, they have written this letter. Um, And I maybe, you know, if people were more accountable... If Western journalists really saw you know, with their own eyes what there is and not sort of second-guessing everything from outside of Gaza, maybe, just maybe, things would change. Well, I'm all
0: in favour of seeing things from a, a truth-telling journalist yeah. very highly respected journalists, those you mentioned, those who know the area very well. I mean, Jeremy Bones lived there for many years as well he knows it extremely well so they're excellent journalists and they would hopefully be very impartial and tell the story as they see it on the ground hopefully they can get in there yeah um another news story
3: kate (sighs) princess kate this is very strange isn't it because um as we all know uh that the the world's media is obsessed with the British royal family still and um, Princess Kate uh, had an operation and hasn't an abdomen on her abdomen that's we know she had abdominal surgery and hasn't been since since uh, hasn't been seen since Christmas Day so the 25th of December but this was planned they said she would be in hospital for two weeks and um, would not take up public duties until Easter but you know, you know what the media's like. Uh, so they've been digging and digging and digging, and you know, a Spanish journalist actually, <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> Concha Caleja? i don't know if I've said that right—she has suggested that Kate's condition uh, is more severe than the palace is letting on, and then in fact that she had inside information that Kate had had to be put into a medically induced coma, and this is this is you know. Story, I, I wonder where that, she's getting her information from. According to sources. But, um, <laughs> that That's one thing. But then Prince William cancelled a public engagement, one that I think would be considered quite important because it was a memorial service for his godfather for personal reasons this week. So this has sent all the tabloids and the internet into a right flurry of where is Kate so if you if you type in where is Kate on the on uh, any search engine you will just be inundated with so I mean it's kind of gossipy. It's gossipy yeah I mean Kensington Palace they did release a statement again
0: yesterday and they've just said this is as they always said it was it'll take a certain amount of time and then she will return so nothing is outside the agenda that was already initially planned.
3: No, no, absolutely not. Uh, so, yes, I mean, if, if, if there was a, an issue after Easter, maybe, uh, you know, people would be allowed to ask the question in a way. But uh, oh, what a dreadful thing to be in the public eye. And, you know, whatever <laughs> recovery you've got, it's not fast enough. You, you need to be waving from somewhere or you're accountable to people. You wouldn't want that job, would you, in a million years? No. <laughs> P- parts
0: of it. It'd be nice to get my hair done every day. <laughs> No, 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 no. Of course. And everybody wishes her well. Um, But let's move. Let's move closer to home. Let's move to the Luxembourg City Film Festival. I was surprised to read that. um, Well, first of all, going back to the Kate story. Sorry, sorry. I shouldn't return to it. But I'm surprised. Maybe it's out there. Somebody hasn't made a list of all of the potential abdominal surgeries possible. I (laughs) bet. I, bet well, I think
3: they have. Yeah, I bet there is the list out there. <laughs> I, have, I, I saw quite a few yeah. uh, theories when I was looking at the, mm. the story essay, none of which I really understood, to be honest. Mm, medical names yeah. and all that. So, Luxembourg City Film Festival.
0: Um, again, a list here. Uh, apparently, it's... In the top 25 of cool festivals in the world, uh, 2022, by Movie Maker magazine. Um, Yeah. I I
3: know it's quite, it's rather nice, isn't it? I'm not quite sure what makes it cool. Um, I mean it certainly doesn't attract the big stars and um, I say that but we've got Viggo Mortensen star of uh, Lord of the Rings franchise um, coming because he's promoting uh, his own film which will be one of the films at the Luxembourg City Film Festival um, but I looked at I, I thought it was really sweet last night was the opening night and it was the red carpet and I was looking through the photos on RTL there, are, there are no big gowns. Um, there's no no big arrivals. Most people are kind of standing in their jeans, you know, um, and it's just that's as a ever. Real, real sort of film types, I'd say, rather than the big glamour that you would get mm. say Venice or, or Cannes. But it's a very big festival, actually. I mean, they show really a lot of films across a lot of venues, uh, some and really interesting films, not films that you you kind of see on the usual rant. I should get out more I should do more cultural things I feel like
0: <laughs> sometimes I don't I don't take part enough in what's going on around us and, and the nice thing about Luxembourg is
3: it's quite easy to get tickets for things usually yes, absolutely I, I mean it's a great thing actually you can so, get tickets and the other yeah. exciting thing I thought was this VR pavilion which oh is that's part a big of the deal uh, film yeah. festival so that's down at the Abbey de Neumünster. yeah and uh that's that's I've done one VR experience and and it was so amazing, this sort of, this, immer- you know, watching a film and kind of being part of it. Um, and they, they've got all sorts of different things. So you can, for example... Uh, you know, go back in time. Uh, you can be a young girl doing racial segregation in the States. You can travel to the International Space Station, um, be part of the poetic universe of Mexico. I don't yes. know what that involves. But um, the the one I did, it was so realistic. I was really blown away. So I can't wait to go to that.
0: I've done a couple of VR things, but but not an entire film. Well, I, I don't think they're 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 not feature length. Okay. Yeah
3: they're short. okay
0: <laughs> right. okay so well, there's something to do for the weekend if i'm not helping if my children don't allow me which is usually the case to help them with any chemistry revision this weekend i know you're they- off <laughs> yes i'll be off to one of these things thank you so much sasha thank you as always share. thank you Theza, for, so for being with us and i know pleasure. what app to download today and all of you too and we'll be all helping with the spring cleanup which in luxembourgish is the close spring Boots. Gross boots. What does boots mean in Luxembourg? Uh, like uh, puts and clean. Okay. Gross boots. Boots. Okay. Gross boots. The big clean. Okay. I need to do it in my house as well. And garden. <laughs> okay. So we have lots of things planned for this weekend. And Bella, I know hopefully you're in bed now over there in California. Thank you so much. And everybody should buy her book as well. Single at Heart. That's her latest book. She has a few out there to buy. And whether you're single, whether you're in a couple, whether you're a big family... Whatever way around this weekend, have a wonderful weekend and write in, write in with all of your stories. We always love to hear from you. With that, goodbye from us all here.
1: The Lisa Burke Show.